For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Tonight, meltdown. The once vaunted Georgia case against Donald Trump falls apart over a sordid affair. It is a lie. It is a lie. And the former president says his latest case in New York should die, too. The Trump trials descend into nothing as the nation watches. If things are going in the direction we think, uh, Fonnie Willis lied to the court, it's game over for her. Kansas City crisis. The Super Bowl parade shooting opens America's eyes to a much bigger problem in America's heartland. What would you say are the biggest challenges for officers out here right now? Morale. Why the police chief refuses to talk about it. The relationship between the uh, subjects involved, that's still under investigation. And squatters' rights. We got a free house in Portland, Oregon, and how you can too. The new video showing just how little rights homeowners have. How rent-free tenants are ruining America's cities. I always thought that stealing was wrong, but it turns out if you steal a house, it's not even against the law here. Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight, what I'm about to say isn't partisan. It's not about Republicans or Democrats. What happened today is just sad. We're going to get to more of Fannie Willis's testimony and the crazy idea of a defense attorney questioning a prosecutor under oath for hours, which is what happened today. That doesn't even normally happen in the movies. But cable TV today was wild. You didn't even need daytime soap operas. What you saw on all four major cable networks was far crazier than anything Hollywood could write. Whether you love Donald Trump or hate him. We as a country deserve better than prosecutors who almost certainly committed perjury. It's that simple. Prosecutors in America's legal system have, and they need to have, enormous power. In fact, Fannie Willis and her boyfriend used that power to charge the former president of the United States with RICO charges. They took a mugshot of the former president. Shouldn't matter what party he is in. That's enormous power, the power to change elections, the power to put people in jail the power to ruin their lives. And yet today, we learned Fannie Willis is just like the people she often tries to lock up. Evasive, occasionally misleading, and telling stories that do not always make sense. I probably had some choice words about some of the things that you said that were dishonest within this motion. So I don't know that it was a conversation. As you know, Mr. Wade is a Southern gentleman. Me, not so much. Think about that. Again, love Trump, hate Trump. That's a prosecutor forced to testify under oath because she had an affair with someone she paid $650,000 of taxpayer money to. He then took her on lavish vacations. In any other world, that's a kickback. Forget unethical. It's illegal. It's wrong. Her only defense is that she paid him back in cash for half of the cost of the trips. 
she doesn't have any records of the cash payments. The New York Times knew today would be so bad, they wrote this article yesterday. Why the case against Fannie Willis feels familiar to black women. In interviews, professional women were dismayed by the personal attacks on the Georgia prosecutor, but not surprised. When the best defense is calling the attackers racist, you have lost. Because today wasn't about race, it was about justice. Injustice requires fairness. Being being prosecuted by a liar isn't fair. In this case, Nathan Wade is the man Willis paid to be the special prosecutor. In the case, he's being asked about his 2023 divorce. Today, he was asked about that, where he stated last year, under oath, that he didn't have an affair. Uh, in May 2023, in the divorce case, you said you had not had a personal relationship, an affair, a romantic relationship with anyone. That's correct. But you told this court in the affidavit that you did have one that started in 2022. So that would have been ongoing at 2023. So here I think there's a distinction, if you'd allow me to explain. Um, the interrogatory um, asked the question during the course of your marriage. Um, or, or to date. So... The question, though, was if you had had a relationship. And in 2023, you said you did not. And that is different than what you said in this affidavit, correct? No, ma'am. I said during the course of my marriage. So in so you believe that you... Let him finish, Ms. Merchant. So in 2015, my marriage was irretrievably broken. So I did not have a relationship with anyone during the course of my marriage. Even though he was still married up until 2023. The hearing continues tomorrow at 9 in the morning, and eventually the judge is going to decide if he'll disqualify Willis from prosecuting Trump. That would totally upend the case against Trump in Georgia. But this, what we saw today, is about something far bigger than Trump. It's about justice. It's about prosecutors who thought they were above the law. Robert James is here, former DeKalb County District Attorney. Shandell Summer is here, former assistant DA in Fulton County, now an expert in family and divorce law. I want to thank you both for being here. I think just to get to sort of the heart of the matter in terms of what Fannie Willis's defense is, is, hey, there was no conflicts of interest uh, because even though I picked the guy who was my boyfriend to be the special prosecutor, and even though the this county paid him $650,000, the trips we took, I paid him back in cash for half of the value of the trip. Take a listen to her explanation. Um, so you have no proof of any reimbursement for any of these things because it was all cash, right? The testimony of one witness is enough to prove a fact. So my question was, do you have I'm any proof? Is that what you're intimating right here? I'm asking if you have any proof that you paid him any I mean, of these The money. proof is what I just told you. You have no written proof. Former District Attorney James, um, would any prosecutor accept that kind of answer or explanation from a witness accused of wrongdoing? Well, the question here is whether or not there's anything to contradict what the DA has said. So as a legal standard, um, the DA is correct. The testimony of a single witness can establish a fact. Um, There's nothing that I heard today to rebut uh, the testimony that she put forward on that specific point. And so when the judge rules, the only evidence that he has to make a decision on is the testimony of DA Willis. Um, So, you know. As a prosecutor, you look to what you can and cannot prove based on admissible evidence. 
All right, so Shandell, I, I, I get that point. At the same time, there was someone testifying that the affair began long before either Wade or uh, Willis said that it did. I, I guess th- there's the smell test, too, though, right? That, that something is so important, I'm, I'm paying half back to avoid the appearance of impropriety, but I did so in cash so there wouldn't be any paper trail. You've been talking about this for a long time, Shandell. You said it was going to be must-see TV. I think this exceeded all of our expectations, didn't it? Yes, it was uh, quite dramatic, especially when Fonnie Willis burst into the courtroom and said that she had been pacing in her office for hours and she was going to take the witness stand while her co-counsel was in the middle of her motion to uh, quash the subpoena that Fonnie Willis was required to answer. So it was a she, she appeared on the witness stand. She was defiant. Um, I thought that the explanation about the cash reimbursements was fishy and absolutely did not pass the smell test. But Mm. more importantly, um, in Fulton County, you have to file disclosures of gifts or favors given to you by anyone who does business with the county. And uh, Nathan Wade does business with the county. He's what they call a prohibited source. So she didn't file any disclosures. She said she had no gifts or favors in the whole year. So I think it, you know, the totality of the circumstances indicates that she lied under oath. And I think that was more damaging than the allegations that she had an affair with Nathan Wade. Yeah. yeah well, it's, it's, oftentimes, it's, as we say in Washington, it's not the crime, it's, it's the cover-up. Speaking of Nathan Wade, Robert, I want to play uh, this testimony about how he viewed their affair and then get your thoughts. Take a listen. Are you asking me if I had intercourse with the district attorney? I, I was trying not to, but I guess the, if you're going to characterize it as that, the answer would be? The answer would be no. During the direct examination, you made a statement, at least I believe I heard it correctly, that you, personal relationship, and now I'm talking about that characterized the sexual romantic relationship, was not a secret. Is that correct? Wait. If you're asking me if people knew that we were having sex, no, they didn't. I'm asking you whether the people knew that you were dating, whether you were romantically involved. You said that it was not a secret. Oh, it, it wasn't a secret. It was just private. My, my, my mother knew, obviously. Okay. Mr. James, I, I think that all of us as Americans, whether you like Trump, you don't like Trump, You'd want prosecutors uh, who have this enormous power to be held to a higher standard than that. I'm wondering what you thought of just from a from a human standpoint of what we saw. Well, I look at things through the lenses of the law. I'm an attorney. Right. And so from a legal standpoint, I I, there was nothing that I saw that um, arises to the level of uh, of of of. Where, where a judge should remove her from the case. I'm very familiar with the standard of removal of prosecutors. I was a prosecutor for 17 years. I even had to testify in a hearing like this when someone tried to remove me. And so, you know, through political lenses, I think, you know, you can talk about uh, what's, what's good judgment, what's bad judgment, what should have happened, what shouldn't have happened. But from a legal standpoint, um, I didn't hear anything today that would prove that there's a real conflict that would arise to the level of removal based on the cases that I'm familiar with mm. in Georgia. Janelle, you know, I'm wondering if almost the people who were so happy with Fannie Willis, uh, Fannie Willis, and the people who hate Donald Trump, 
are not the ones who should be the most angry uh, because they're look the, the phone call he made to Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State. There, there was some really concerning parts of that, and now her behavior has made a charade. Whether she's removed or not, it's made a charade of this case. I'm wondering why you have a different view than Robert does about possible removal. I think the people who should be the most upset about Fonnie Willis and her testimony and her her actions in this case are the Fulton County taxpayers who are footing the bill. Uh, this has cost the county an enormous amount of money. It's delayed the prosecution of other cases. And basically, she's used COVID funds that were designed to uh, clear up the backlog in Fulton County for this prosecution. So I think those are the people who should be the most upset. But it is... Um, it is upsetting that she would come into the courtroom and suggest that this sort of go girl defense that she pays for herself and she doesn't let any man take care of her. But yet she hired this man with whom she was having an affair who was married. And and now she wants to get up on the stand and try to minimize it and suggest that it doesn't somehow provide her with a pecuniary benefit, a financial benefit, by having paid him $650,000, and then he's taking her on trips all over the world. And this idea that she reimbursed him with cash, it's baloney. Yeah, I, I guess it also, I think, I would, I would just hope people would think about whether we want people with that kind of power who behave in that way. I mean, it's just the, the enormous power that prosecutors have, and then to listen to them uh, shall we say, be very selective with their words in terms of what they did and didn't do is uh, concerning. I don't know. Maybe I'm old-fashioned. Robert James, Chandel Summer, we want to thank you both. Uh, obviously, the hearings continue tomorrow. We'll have you both back to, to talk about it. Thank you. Sounds great. Thanks. Bye. All right. The Georgia case won't go to trial for a while, if ever. But this is just one of many cases that the former president is facing. There's a lot of them. The Stormy Daniels hush money case goes to trial March 25th. Florida classified documents case set for trial May 20th. There's a motion under consideration to delay. The D.C. January 6th case has no trial set. But the Supreme Court may make a decision at any point now on Trump's immunity claim. Donald Trump didn't go to the Georgia hearing. Instead, he was in New York for a hearing on what reasonable people can agree is the weakest case against him. I'm honored to sit here day after day after day on something that everybody says the greatest legal scholars say it's not even a crime. Michael Desharo used to prosecute cases in New York City and is with us now. He's a defense attorney. Michael, I remember when you and I talked uh, when this happened. I guess it's almost been a year ago when the indictment, the first indictment came down. Lots happened in a year. Um, the, you thought there was a real chance of acquittal by a New York jury. Has your opinion changed? No, it hasn't, um, on both on the criminal case in Manhattan and uh, on the civil case. Um, that is a very unique case. And when you speak to people on the civil case, when you speak to people in the real estate business, the idea of valuation is sort of a time-tested dance that real estate professionals do with each other. Yeah, no, no, Michael, I know you're, I know, I'm just going to stop you. I, I, I get that on the civil case, and that's going to be tomorrow when there, there's a possibility of the, the penalties uh, that are delivered. I, I would, just, just get me to the criminal case here, um, just so we, we stay in the same lanes. Sure. Yeah, this, this is a, an astoundingly confusing case. It, it's going to be a very difficult case for the prosecution to present. It's going to be very difficult for 
jurors to understand. And it is the weakest case. And the star witness is Michael Cohen. Now, I don't get involved in the politics, but when you have somebody who's a convicted perjurer as your star witness, that cross-examination is going to go on for days. Plus, in the criminal world, it's not like in the civil world where you have these loose standards. You have to prove that Donald Trump himself committed these acts. It's and he intended to commit a crime. This is the worst case out of all these cases, and I've talked about it at length. This case simply should not be, and he's being treated differently in this case than other defendants. We've never seen a prosecution like this. I'm thinking about this as it relates to just the the politics of it, because there's the law side, there's the politics side. They've never intersected in a way like this before. But one of the discussions always about the Georgia case was that it was going to be on camera. You were going to have cameras in the courtroom and it was going to be you were going to watch the president's trial. I'm wondering, who do you think it benefits to not have cameras in the courtroom in the New York case? I think it I think it benefits the prosecution because you're not going to be able to see the damaging cross-examination of Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen is going to, as as we say in the business, he's going to be left for dead uh, after he gets cross-examined. And he's done so many things. For, forgive he, me, you said, as we say in the business, left for dead. What does that mean? That means after you get done cross-examining someone, he's, le- he's on the stand completely in tatters. He simply, okay. you can't revive him. So it's going to be the, the, the prosecution won't be able to revive their star witness because he's been so impeached. No way, because yeah. he has so much baggage. So, so, much baggage. so how does that play? I mean, we, we've we've done this before. We've talked about New York juries. New York City voted overwhelmingly for Joe Biden. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but by multiple double digits. Right. Um, so these the jury jury pool is going to be just by dint of the math, almost certainly a large percentage of people who voted for or would have voted for Joe Biden. You've been in front of a lot of New York juries. Does the politics matter here? I, I, I really don't think so. Man, this is a Manhattan jury. This isn't just a New York City jury. So you're going to have very highly educated people on this jury. And I caution the DA. He believes that perhaps the politics may bring him over the line. But once that jury room door closes... These are going to be very in, smart and opinionated people, and they're going to be read a jury instructions by the judge that says you must find him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, all of you. And even with the politics of this, even with the Trump name, I don't think this case makes it over the line. It's simply a very, very weak factual case with a very flawed witness. Michael, you've been saying this now for a year, literally, since we started talking about this. We're always grateful for your uh, insight and analysis. Uh, Starting March 25th, you're going to be an awfully busy man with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. Thank you. It's been more than 24 hours since two shooters in Kansas City killed one and wounded 22. Why authorities in Kansas City won't simply tell us the truth about who pulled the trigger and how a Russian space weapon became a political stunt We'll expose the latest dysfunction on the Republican side of the House and why nobody gets punished for it. City chief fans tackled the suspected gunmen or gunmen in the minutes after the shooting that injured 22 and killed one person yesterday. But now, more than 24 hours later, police won't say anything about the two suspects 
they're holding literally nothing other than they are juveniles and that the shooting stem from a quote personal dispute at least one photo from the scene shows a semi-automatic rifle shootings of course at super bowl rallies are rare shootings in kansas city among armed youth is pretty routine Brian Enton is in Kansas City, where suddenly they are very concerned about quote-unquote gun violence. And Brian, I think we should note, you've been covering uh, shootings in Kansas City long before this one. Yeah, I have, Leland. You know, I think the Super Bowl rally shooting headline got a lot of attention. Uh, People were interested because of the the Super Bowl component. But Kansas City has a real crime problem, and it has for a long time. And if you ask the people here if they're surprised about what happened, many of them will tell you, no, we are not surprised because this city is plagued by violence. For four consecutive years, they have had the most violent crime that this city has ever had. They had more homicides last year just like in many American cities, than they ever had before. 181 murders here uh, in Kansas City. There is also a police shortage. So this is part of a bigger gang problem and violence problem in Kansas City. I was out with the cops here at the end of 2022. Uh, Take a look. And it didn't stop. Another overdose. Another man reported to be waving a gun around. A person shot twice in front of this house. And then there were the people constantly running from Kansas City police. Most of the time, it's their policy to just let them go. It's nature of the beast. They run, you let them go. We don't have nothing other than just traffic charges. But there was obviously a reason they were running. Oh, clearly. They were up to no good, but we might never know what they were doing or what they're about to do. It's a frustrating time to be a cop, and it shows in the number of job vacancies nationwide. In Kansas City, they have 225 police officer openings. The latest data nationwide shows large departments hired 36% fewer officers as of May 2021. What would you say are the biggest challenges for officers out here right now? Morale is uh, definitely something that uh, is a big issue here just because... Uh, with low manpower, not having, you know, enough officers out here, and you have officers that are, you know, going from call to call to call, and it it wears on these officers, you know. And there is an even bigger police shortage now, Leland, than when I did that report. I was talking to some of the police sources I, I got to know back then. Right now, 340 police officer vacancies as of today in Kansas City. They've got a force of about uh, a thousand or so, so it's a big problem. I get why people are focused on the Super Bowl component, but this goes so much deeper than that. Yeah, and you think about there's so many neighborhoods like the ones that you were in, Brian, where uh, shootings with one or two dead and multiple injuries is is a week, weekly occurrence, it's something that happens every weekend um, for folks. It's just it's just life, which is sad. Brian, thank you very much. Keep up the great report, and we're counting on you out there. Wes Rogers is a member of the Kansas City City Council. Was also a violent crime prosecutor for years and a state representative. We appreciate you joining us, sir. I'm trying to get to how we don't know more about the shooters themselves. I've covered an awful lot of school shootings, all with juveniles. Within a couple of hours, we know their names, we've got their pictures, we know uh, what they were involved in, we've, we've heard you know, odd things about them that, that led to this. How is it 30 hours later, we still don't know the identities of these people? So first of all, let me say there were 800 law enforcement officers at the parade, and when, when the shooting started to happen, 
they all stepped up to the occasion. Yep. Kansas City 100%. And, and the entire region has has excellent law enforcement, and thank God that they were there so the situation yep. didn't get worse. Uh, they've been handling this well from the beginning. These investigations take time. It's an active investigation. I'm not going to speculate other than to say I know our police department does a very good job that they're handling this case well, and those questions will be answered when it's time to answer them. All right. I, I, look, we obviously understand the difficult job of the rank-and-file officers. There's no question about that. Um, and they're, they're all hardworking, and they all put on a uniform, and as you point out, run to the sound of gunfire. That said, uh, 181 or 182 homicides uh, right now, Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, Kansas City, Missouri is one of the top uh, cities in the country um, for homicides. Uh, as Brian pointed out, there's 400-plus openings in the police department. Uh, that's a problem. There's no doubt that's a problem. And, the, you know, the part of the issue with the openings is then you don't have enough officers to investigate crimes, and then crimes go unsolved and it snowballs. So you're absolutely correct in that. We're going through our budget process for the next fiscal year right now. I guarantee you that we will offer our officers more money than we ever have before. We respect our officers in Kansas City. We like our officers in Kansas City, and we're going to pay them. We're going to keep them safe, and we're going to give them the resources they need because we desperately need to address the crime that you've already talked about. The, you, you can't necessarily uh, buy people's pride and buy people's feeling in a job. Does this have anything to do with the lack of prosecutions and the, the revolving door that we've seen in a number of cities? of people being arrested and then let back out on the streets? So I'm not going to sit here and say that doesn't happen. It does happen. And and what I will tell you is when someone commits a violent crime in this city, they need to go to prison. And when that doesn't happen, we've got a problem. So I I guess I agree with you that when someone commits a violent crime, they need to go to prison. And I did that myself for years. All right. right. Wes, thank you. Uh, Obviously, we're going to learn a lot more. Uh, hopefully, about who these two individuals were and, and what their background is um, in terms of how they, they got these weapons and whether they've ever used them before. Wes, thank you very much. Coming up next, a new video shows just how easily squatters can break into your home, live rent-free, and why you might have to pay them thousands of dollars to leave. Here's the kicker. Calling the cops doesn't help. So I just got nine months of free rent in a house that otherwise would have cost me three grand a month, plus a nice cash for keys check. And I wasn't even charged with anything. I always thought that stealing was wrong, but it turns out if you steal a house, it's not even against the law here. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. got a free house in Portland, Oregon, and how you can too. So the first thing I did was find a vacant house that somebody was trying to rent. And I called the utility companies and had the utilities put in my name. When the owner showed up, I politely explained that this was my house now and they need to leave. The owner decided it would be cheaper to just give me a chunk of cash to leave rather than continue paying the lawyer. So I just got nine months of free rent in a house that otherwise would have cost me three grand a month, plus a nice cash for keys check. And I wasn't even charged with anything. 
The video you just saw has been seen by millions of millions of people. It chronicles how to squat in a place like Portland, Oregon, with lax squatting laws. We tracked down the man in the video, George McCleary, and found out he's a realtor, owner of McCleary Realty and Development, with us now. It's, does this actually happen? Oh, yeah. It's a very real thing, and not just in Portland. It's a nationwide problem, maybe even worldwide problem. Yeah, we've, we've, we've gotten some of the headlines from around the country. Uh, squatters take over 1,200 homes in Atlanta, open illegal strip clubs. Um, cities with squatters issues, New York, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, among others, because of these lax laws. You chronicled in your video, which I would encourage anybody to go out and watch, um, and we'll put it on our, our, our Twitter page and on War Notes as well. But you chronicle basically a couple of things you have to do that appear to be illegal, right? You have to forge a lease agreement to be able to show to the cops. You have to put utilities um, in your name, which sounds an awful lot like fraud. Why don't people who do this get charged with crimes? So by the time everything's all said and done, you've got somebody who's moved into your house, put the utilities in their name, moved in some furniture and a couple friends. And so... To a police officer, it looks real enough, and they don't want to throw somebody out on the street that maybe might have a lease agreement, so they got to make a judgment call, and it therefore becomes a civil matter instead of a criminal matter. But these are criminals that are doing this, and they are committing crimes, all of which you just listed. All right. I want to play one more clip from your uh, video just to sort of give people an idea of, of how you laid this out. Take a look. I called the utility companies and had the utilities put in my name. I'm not going to pay them, but they don't know that. When the owner showed up, I politely explained that this was my house now and they need to leave. So they call the police and I show them my lease agreement and the utility bills and they tell the owner that this is a civil matter and they've got to sue me. Is it squatter's rights? What is the situation? So first thing, let's call these people what they are. These people are trespassers and that nomenclature is important when you're talking to the police, to a judge, to a lawyer. Uh, Squatters have rights, unfortunately, under the laws, not just in Portland, but nationwide. But these people are criminal trespassers. They're entering unlawfully into a property and claiming it as their own. And that's against the law. All right. So you did. Has this actually happened to you? Is that why you did the video? It's not happened to me personally, but it's happened to a number of close friends and colleagues. And every single time, it's a very expensive, very painful process to get these people out. Uh, Sometimes you can claim criminal, criminal trespass and get them out very quickly. But more often than not, these are more sophisticated criminals and they stick it out for the long haul. And they kind of understand what, how to walk right up to the line, not necessarily of illegal, because they've crossed the line of illegal. They've, they've showed up in a place that isn't theirs. They, they've gotten in it. They've trespassed. They've forged a lease agreement. But what is the line that they know not to cross so they don't get prosecuted? Unfortunately, it's not up to them whether or not they get prosecuted. It's up to the judicial system. And the line that they walk is that they just claim and they're lying that all of this stuff is legitimate. And in civil court, um, there's not being a there's not a criminal element being discussed in civil court. It's it's only a disagreement between two parties. Yeah, but isn't falsifying a lease agreement fraud? It absolutely is, and they should be prosecuted, but it rarely, if ever, happens. How much of that has to do with just, for lack of anything else, the prosecutors in Portland? 
I think it has a lot to do with it. We have a very weak prosecutor. Mike Schmidt is, I think, going to lose the next election because he's soft on crime. And in jurisdictions where people know they can get away with crime, they're much more likely to commit crime. And so I'm very much in favor of a new DA who's actually going to prosecute these type of crimes. All right, so George, what is it for you and your fellow realtors and investors and everything else to do other than make some really good YouTube videos? <laughs> First thing is make a great YouTube video that gets a lot of engagement. Uh, second is you, you, you uh, get yourself a... <laughs> Got that covered. Um, get a security system. You can get ones with motion detectors, relatively cheap. You can get notified if anybody enters your property. You can give vendors codes. Uh, fortify it with extra locks. Don't use a cheap lockbox. And just protect yourself because especially in a jurisdiction like Portland's, um, it's up to you. You're on your own. You got to protect yourself. An ownership society. You're on your own. I've heard that one before. George, thank you very much. Let us know when you make your next video, all right? You're going to become our resident uh, YouTube squatter realty expert. I'm looking forward to it, Leland. Coming up next, the new Russian space weapon that we shouldn't know about. How a Republican in Congress decided to freelance about some of America's most sensitive secrets and why he might not face any consequences. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply few years ago, turns out, might actually exist killer satellite system. Of course, we aren't supposed to know about it, but we do now. Ohio Congressman and House Intelligence Committee Chairman Mike Turner caused the media to go into a frenzy yesterday after issuing a vague warning about a national security threat. Since he's on House Intel, it scared the bejesus out of everybody and forced the White House to let the Russians know that we know about something. Of course, it would have been a lot better if we could have kept that secret. First, this is not an active capability that's been deployed. And though Russia's pursuit of this particular capability is troubling, there is no immediate threat to anyone's safety. We are not talking about a weapon that can be used to attack human beings or cause physical destruction here on Earth. That said, we've been closely monitoring this Russian activity, and we will continue to take it very seriously. All right, so the White House and Intel community had done the right thing. They informed Congress that Russia is working on an advanced space-based nuclear weapon. If deployed, it would threaten the United States' satellite networks. That said, it'd be a lot better if our Intel community could work on countering it without the Russians knowing we knew about it. That's why things are classified. That's why you have the Gang of Eight. That's why you have Mike Turner, who's head of Intel, who is supposed to keep his mouth shut. Turner caused a brief Wall Street sell-off after urging President Biden to declassify information on this national security threat. And the disclosure might have compromised sources and methods. He didn't care. We don't know why Turner did this. He's a big supporter of Ukraine funding. He also has certain feelings about the new FISA authorization bill. So maybe it was part of the deal to become chairman of the House Intelligence Committee to put everything aside. In fact, it was part of the deal. Politics goes over here. National security is above politics. It's hard to understand how America is safer today than we did before Mike Turner's freelancing. Speaking of national security, 
Republicans had made a big deal about Joe Biden and his son compromising national security. They pointed to a whistleblower who told the FBI about a bribe allegedly paid to the younger Biden at the end of his dad's term as VP. During that time, Biden threatened to withhold American aid to Ukraine unless they fired a prosecutor. $5 million bribe allegedly influenced then-VP Biden to protect a company in Ukraine called Burisma from legal trouble. Today, the special counsel looking into Hunter Biden charged the informant with lying to the FBI about the scheme, basically saying the informant made the whole thing up. For months now, Republicans have used this informant's musings, Republican meaning James Comer, at the top as the basis for much of their investigations into the Bidens. It proved, Comer said, the link between the older Biden and the younger Biden's obvious influence peddling. That narrative is pretty much blown up now. Last week, Republicans took the special counsel looking into Joe Biden's report as gospel. We'll see if they treat this special counsel the same way. Coming up next, like the founders envisioned it, one of those powerful Republicans in Congress does something no powerful members ever do. He's quitting and going out on top. He'll explain the unusual move when we come back. Americans are fed up with Republicans, not for political reasons, but because they cannot govern. I think these are a couple of issues that uh, put Republicans in peril of looking like a, literally a do-nothing Congress. All right, the Republican versus Republican, considering those were both conservative media outlets. Republican versus Republican food fight is now on full display in Congress. Shocking that doesn't sit well with the men in Congress who actually don't need to be in Congress and some women. The non-professional politicians who don't need the job and thus don't really like dealing with the dysfunction. The latest to walk, Congressman Mark Green, chair of the Homeland Security Committee, friend of the show, resigning after three terms. I should say resigning, not running for re-election. Right. You know I have known each other for a long time. Yep. No, no surprise to anyone that I'm a big fan of yours, uh, both personally and professionally. But uh, quitting's not a term I would ever associate <laughs> with you. Yeah, yeah, night stalkers don't quit, right? Uh, I, I'm not quit quitting, though, really. I got done what I promised I'd get done. And, uh, you know, the founders are very clear. They didn't want um, these people to come up here and just be here forever, professional politicians. It was supposed to be citizen legislators. And so but you were I, supposed to be making a sacrifice, right? You, there were well, supposed to be things that were better for you than yeah, doing Congress. Yeah, and I would say that's the case for a lot of people in Congress. They've walked away from... Uh, running companies and, and doing things, being a fireman, you know, and, and doing the things they love to serve the country and then um, get here and kind of like ser it. Serve their some do, some like it and they stay. And But I don't think that's, you know, the, the impeachment has gotten me into the Constitution even more, right? I'm looking impeaching at what's impeaching Mayorkas, right? Okay. And so it's got me thinking about this stuff and I'm digging into it and saying, oh, you know, this is what the founders really intended. I'm supposed to come here. Do a few years, provide my expertise, accomplish what I said as my agenda. I've done it. Um, I've got one other thing I want to do, and I can get that done the rest of the year. All right, so you, you talk about the founders. The one thing I always hear, the two things that they didn't ever think about in their genius was term limits and age limits. Because, right. because you were making a sacrifice. You were leaving your farm. You were leaving your law practice, whatever it was. You were coming to Washington. It was a terrible journey. You, know, you couldn't ride three days on your horse at 75 right. years old. Uh, is is three terms the right number? Well, it is for me because I got it done and got done what well, I. Some people aren't going to get it done in ten terms. So what's well, the... you know, I, maybe they get voted out of office. Okay. I, don't, I don't know. So term limits, we'll we'll move that on. What what? I'll flip this around because we can all talk for all night about what doesn't work in Washington. What sure. does? 
Well, I think the system of uh, inside the parties, how information gets spread around, is working pretty good. Um, I think messaging. I don't know what that means inside. Well, how each how each party conducts its business and its internal meetings and things like that, I think, are done very well. I think the steering process is done very well. How, at least on the Republican side, how we pick chairman, uh, I think, is a, is a very effective process. It's it's merit based on our side. Well, says the guy who gets a gavel on a major committee for the first time in seventy years True. for a guy who's done it in three terms. So yeah. okay. Um, how do we get rid of the professional politician class? Really, you know, I believe it's got to be in the electorate. I mean, people have to vote. And, you, you know, you can, it, it has to do a little bit with redistricting, how, how the districts are drawn. Um, and we, people just have to vote and get, get new blood in there. I, I tell young people who come to me and say, hey, I want to run for Congress. And I'm like, go back and get a job. Get an expertise. Bring something to the table. And, and that's who we've got to pick to be in Congress, or those folks that have an expertise. I mean, it, the breadth of information that comes before a United States congressman is enormous. And I have a pretty good breadth with my experience, but I still don't know the timber industry. I mean, we need somebody in there who knows the timber industry. So, um, yeah, it, we need to have citizen legislators writing the laws of this country. Fair enough. Doctor, businessman, Army, uh, you went, went through Ranger School. Um, that all said, I guess the issue maybe is not, not how much getting good people, because I think at times we do when we get some interesting folks up here. How do you get them to leave? How do you get them to leave? Well, I guess what I'm saying is just vote them out of office if, they, you know, if they're not doing the job. But if they're doing the job, maybe you want them. I will say ex- experience has some advantages. For okay. example, the bureaucracy is not term limited. All they'd have to do, if we were truly term limited, wait us out. Nothing changes. We can't, we can't do that, right? Uh, if we're going to term limit Congress, you've got to term limit the bureaucracy in the administration. Interesting. Biggest lesson learned? I think the biggest lesson learned is that my party is representing its districts. So you've got completely different Republican districts, and those Republican congressmen are voting for their district. On the other side of the aisle, they're voting for their ideology, and they never vary. And that means the only way a Republican-controlled agenda can happen is we've got to have a big majority. Small majority, not much happens. Not much happens. Because our our folks are really trying hard to represent their, their districts. I mean, Fitzpatrick versus my district, it's two different districts. And, you know, he... He has to vote a little differently than I do. I understand that. To represent his people, not because he believes necessarily different. I mean, this is representative democracy. So, Well, I have to say, congratulations. There's not a lot of people who do what you do and leave voluntarily, especially um, after a big accomplishment. So congratulations there. Um, And we we hope that if there's an announcement to be made in the future, you'll make it here, all right? Uh, Absolutely. All right, Chairman, it's good to see see you. you. Thank you very much. Need more people like him in Washington, both sides of the aisle. Chris Cuomo is next. We'll have the highlights or lowlights as they are from the Fannie Willis hearing tomorrow. I'll see you then. Hey, everybody, I'm Chris Cuomo. Here's something we need to get after. Did you know that nearly half the people shot at that Kansas City parade were kids? I mean, come on. 
We have a 10-year-old boy who was shot, one of the most interesting wound stories I've ever heard. And this kid is already out of the hospital, and he wants to be heard. And you know what? I am proud to host him and his aunt, who's going to be on the show with us. We're going to talk to him, hear his story of what he saw and what he makes of all of this, and how he was understanding what was happening in the moment.